thank you guys for being here this, this morning. If you don't have the notes yet, you can use your, your uh, camera on your phone and you can scan that QR code and you can uh, follow along with today's message if you'd like to. It always looks like a lot of people are taking pictures of me when you do that right now, but uh, I know you're not. It's okay. I'll get out of the way if I need to. Hey, last um, time, we've, we've been, we just finished this sermon series on money and you're welcome that I'm done. Okay. Um, done with all that. But, man, it was awesome to see God moving in the life of our church and just kind of give you an update. We did a 90-day prayer challenge. And from that 90-day prayer challenge, uh, 74 families said, hey, we were already giving. We want to continue to give during this time and being faithful to the Lord. I'm so grateful for you um, and the way that you've been, been serving the Lord and, and giving. Uh, we also had 33 families and individuals that said, hey, for the first time, we're going to give. And we haven't done that before. And we're going to take that 90-day challenge. And so, man, I'm just pumped. 33 Families, that's incredible. That's awesome. I'm so excited. Here's the deal. I'm not excited for your money. We, we don't need your money. We're not even asking for your money. I'm excited that God is moving in your heart. And I'm excited that you're saying, you know what, God, um, we're giving you our wallets too. And if, God, if you're really giving God everything in your heart, um, you're going to be giving him your finances because we hold on to that so, so much and so dear to us. And so thank you for being faithful. And I'm praying for you that God would bless you over these next 90 days. And uh, I'm excited about the future um, here at Central. But, hey, we're moving on to a new sermon series. Uh, so, yeah, you're welcome. Um, so it's uh, called Me to We, and we're going to be looking at discipleship. What does is, what is real discipleship look like? And I think that maybe the... The first question I can ask to start this is, is this. Have you ever been lost? I'm not talking about spiritual stuff here right now. I'm just saying like literally, like you've been lost. You didn't know where you were. So I got a good story. Um, I'm always thinking about this when I think about someone being lost. And I got a buddy and grew up with him. And, and uh, I'll, just, I'll just say his name is Jay, okay, because I'm not going to reveal his real name. Because uh, he may watch someday, I don't know, or maybe watching. But uh, Jay, uh, we were at a youth camp with him, and we were in college, and a bunch of our uh, friends, we were um, doing ministry together. It was about five hours away from home, and we got done with that ministry, and we were all driving home. We were all driving kind of home in our own separate cars. And Jay said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow behind you guys, be a little bit behind you. And so we all take off. We get home. The next day, I get a phone call from his parents. They're frantic. They can't find him anywhere, and they can't get a hold of him. Don't know what's happening. He said, I mean, I don't know. He was right behind us. Don't know what's going on. Well, here's what happened. You ever been, like, in a big city, and you got the big interchanges, you know? It's always kind of scary, especially if you, like, grew up in a small town. You're like, I don't know. Which, I'm going to hit the wrong one. I'm going to fly off this ramp. I'm going to go the wrong way. I don't know. Well, well, he was supposed to turn right, and he went left. And around Austin area, he went left. And so he went south and he went all the way through um, San Antonio and he just kept driving and kept driving and kept driving until he saw a sign for Mexico. Okay. And then he realized, oh no, I am lost. I am going the wrong way. Crazy thing that happened. He didn't tell anybody. He just turned around and started driving back and spent the night in a hotel by himself and uh, didn't get home until the next day. It was kind of crazy. But man, I was thinking about this. Have you ever been lost and didn't know it? Or maybe you, you nudged the person next to you and said, where are we, right? Like, where are we going? And I think that's a great question for us to ask as a church. Where are we going? What are we doing? And maybe, maybe an even better way of saying that is, is to just throw some names out there for you. When I say the word or the name Home Depot, what, does, what, do you, what comes to your mind? What does Home Depot do? Okay, you got plants, you got building materials, if you're fixing a project in your house, 
right? You don't go get a burger at Home Depot, right? I mean, it has a specific purpose, right? Okay. So if I say the word Lexus, what do you think? I think a car I'll never be able to afford, okay? That's what I think about when I hear the word Lexus, okay? When I say Chick-fil-A, what? Closed on Sunday? Yeah, but, but it's, it's God's chicken, right? It's the best chicken. You think of chicken sandwiches. You think of chicken nuggets, man. I'm just already getting hungry right now. Sorry, it is closed today. Um, go tomorrow. But, man, we, 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 when we hear those words, we think of something. But what happens when I say the church? What do you say? Here's the deal. We say a lot of different things, right? If I was to poll 100 people in our church and say, hey, what is Central all about? I'd probably get 100 different answers. Sometimes we have a giant, um, giant swath of different things that our church does. And I think one of, the, one of the greatest dangers for the church and for Christians, it's not, it's not maybe persecution and it's, it's not even like the possibility of losing religious freedom, even though those things are like right on our minds. I think the biggest danger for us is a shift from being the church to just doing church. Without us even realizing it, that can be something that we do. Several weeks ago, my family and I went to IHOP. I know big spenders, right? So we went to IHOP, and, uh, you know, they, do, they don't give you the menu now, and they say, would you, you know, like a digital menu, and you scan a QR code, like we have all our QR codes everywhere, and so uh, you get the menu on your phone, and so I did that, and I went, and I uh, scanned that, and um, in fact, I did it right here. I got the, the IHOP menu right here, so the menu pops up, and so I begin to, to look at what I wanted to eat, and so I look at it, and get some limited time offers right at the beginning, okay? So, man, those are, those are big deals, so I look through those. There's like five or six limited time offers, and there's family feasts. And so, man, these are like the giant platters, okay? So you can go there, you can order those for your family, and then you get to the gluten-friendly uh, uh, menu right here. Now, who cares about gluten-friendly stuff, right? Um, so uh, there, there's the gluten-friendly, there's, I don't know, there's 15, 20, there's gluten-friendly, there's an entire plate of just bacon, okay? That's the gluten-friendly <laughs> menu, okay? That's awesome, okay? I'm, I'm not kidding, it's right there, okay? So, and then there's the world-famous buttermilk pancakes and crepes. Man, I love some crepes. And there's all sorts of different kinds and flavors. And you scroll through there and different kinds of syrup. And then you get to the combos, right? Who's a combo eater at IHOP, okay? A lot of you guys combo. You want some pancakes. Um, you want some eggs. You want some sausage, hash browns, bacon, all that kind of stuff. There's a ton of those. And then you get to the omelets, man. You got to get yourself an omelet like the bacon temptation omelet. You know, I could eat, I could eat that one, okay? The uh, spinach and mushroom one, who cares about that? Um, all right, so then you get some French toast. You got some French toast right there. And then you get into some uh, house-made Belgian waffles. There's a bunch of different ones of those. Then you got some sides. You got hash browns, that giant plate of bacon again. Um, there you go, amen. Mm -hmm. And then you get, then there's onions, onion rings and French, or French toast and French fries weird. So why does that come up? Well, then I realized there's hamburgers and chicken sandwiches too at IHOP. You got a lot of different burgers and you got uh, sandwiches, you got handcrafted sandwiches and Philly cheesesteaks and all sorts of stuff. And then you get down to appetizers, you get some, you get some uh, mozzarella sticks and um, some, some salads. Man, there you go. And then you finally get to the entrees. There's actually entrees at IHOP. There's steak and uh, tilapia and turkey and chicken and boneless wings, all kind of stuff. And then you get to the 55-plus menu. That's still on there too, okay? So you can get the 55-plus 
Rise and shine. Okay, anybody gotten that one? Okay, that's pretty famous. Some of y'all in the back might have gotten those. So you, you can have all these different um, 55 plus, and then you get to the kids' menu. You get the kids' menu too, and there's lots of things for the kids' menu. You finally get down to the drinks. You got the coffee and juice and milk, and you got all sorts of sodas. And then at the very bottom, you've got some house made milkshakes. Man, that's awesome. But here's what happens when we go to a restaurant like that you look at that menu, and what do you do? You're like, I don't know, right? There's too much. You might say, man, everything looks good. Or you ask your waitress, what should, what should I get? You ask a total stranger what to order, right? And so so we're just, we, we don't know because there's so many options. And I feel like sometimes in the church, this is what happens, is we do so many things that we can't do anything great. We just do a lot of things well or okay. And I'm wondering, is that God's plan for his church or does he want us to do a few things great? The question really is, what has Jesus called us to do? As a church, as individuals, what has he called us to do? Because if, if you think about it, Jesus, he specifically never called us to, to make converts, to uh, win arguments, to uh, have worship music and make worship music. He never specifically called us to build buildings or form committees or even do Sunday school, or even go on mission trips. He never called us to do any of those things specifically. Here's what he did. Matthew 28, 18 and 19, he says this. He came to him and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I could stop right there because that's big time right there. Jesus is saying, I'm the man, I'm in charge, okay? And he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Man, you better listen to him. So he says, because of that, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Simple as that. I think as Christians, as a church, it can be sometimes difficult and, and, and hard to follow Jesus, but it's also really simple. It's also really simple. So over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at and talking about what does God have to say about us making disciples? So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and as you're, as you're turning there, let me kind of set you up, tell you what's going on. So in John chapter 8, Jesus, he's about to go into Jerusalem because there's this big festival going on. So it's like Super Bowl weekend. Everybody's going there. And everybody knew about Jesus, and they were excited that he was going to be there. And so Jesus sent his disciples on. And then he puts on like a disguise or something. I don't know what he does, but he sneaks in the back door into Jerusalem. So no one knows he's there. And the Bible says for three days, no one recognizes him, which is kind of crazy. So Jesus is just like snooping around. He's just checking out the sites, right, and seeing what people are doing. And then after three days, I don't know what happened, but in the temple courts, Jesus, I don't know if he took off his, his wig. I don't know if he had a wig on. Okay, so he took something off and it revealed himself, said, it's me. And everybody's like, oh, it's Jesus. And he begins to teach. And everybody starts to crowd around him. And they're like, man, it's Jesus. We're so excited. Now, now the, the religious rulers, they were looking for him. And so um, there was you know, contention there because they didn't like what he was doing. There's a lot of people that seen his, his miracles and heard his teachings. Like, man, we want to be next to this guy. And so he begins to teach. And everybody is really inspired. And they're, they're like, this is awesome. But they're torn. They're torn between these things that Jesus is saying, which the Bible says they would say, no one's ever taught like this. No one's ever said these things before. And they were, they, were, they were like, man, this is incredible. But they were torn between that and following the law. 
the Old Testament law. The way they had always done religion and, and done, done things as Jews, they were torn between those two things. And they really said, you know what, Jesus, thank you so much for what you're saying, but we got the law. We don't really need you. We got the law. We don't need the, 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 the things that you're sharing with us. And the Bible says that there were some people that um, wanted to arrest him, but there's also some people that, that believed in him. And so here's what it says in John chapter 8, verse 31. He said to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple or my disciples. I love, uh, that's in the NIV. The ESV says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Now, when you ever read a, a, word, a, a, a verse like that or read this passage like this, what comes to my mind as a pastor is that there are a ton of like churchy words. So in our, in our life, we say things, especially in this church and probably every church, that, man, if we were outside of this church, it would, look, it would sound really goofy and really weird. We say things like brother a lot to each other. And uh, if someone, you know, if you grow up in the church, you may be like, oh, brother, you know, that makes sense. But if you were, came from, from outside of this church and maybe you're the first time coming in here and you're like, you say, brother, I don't, you're not my brother. I don't know who you are, right? And so we say things like that. We say some really big kind of lofty words like sanctification and justification and repentance and redemption. We say things like the Trinity and the Holy Spirit. We say things like um, your testimony. We, we say all these words. And as a Christian, if you've grown up like since like VBS, you're like, you're like I get those. These things, this means something to me. But a lot of the people, the rest of the world, that just sounds weird. It sounds foreign. And one of the biggest words that we use that's really foreign to people is this word discipleship or this word disciple. What in the world does that mean? I'd say that disciple is probably in like the top 10 of the churchiest words, okay? Um, and so in the, in, it's only used one time in the Old Testament, this word disciple. But then it's used 267 times in the New Testament. So what in the world is a disciple? A great definition of disciple is any person adhering to the beliefs of a particular teacher, a true follower, and learner. Any person adhering to the beliefs of a particular teacher, a true follower, or learner. That's a great definition of a disciple. Now, to really understand disciples, you got to go all the way back to when, um, when Jesus was around, okay, in the New Testament time, and realize that, you know, people call Jesus rabbi sometimes. So where did that come from? Well, they... There was tons of rabbis around. They were religious leaders. A lot of them had like a, they were very charismatic. They were smart. Um, these people had a following. They were leaders. And so here's what rabbis, what they would do. They would go to people who um, were like young men who were, uh, had great potential. And they would say this. Now, this is something that you'll recognize. They'll say, follow me. And we, we read, Jesus says that a lot to people. But he wasn't the first one to say that. People would say, follow me to these, to these, these kids, these boys. And what they were saying is, hey, I want you, want you to drop everything you're doing and come with me, and your life is never going to be the same. Things are going to be different. And so what would happen is these, these boys, they would stay in like a religious school till they're about 13, 14, 15, something like that. And then it was almost like a, uh, a, 
uh, NFL draft would happen, okay? Or it would be like uh, America's Got Talent, okay, or The Voice or something. And th- these rabbis would come into these schools, and the kids, the boys' parents, they would, they would uh, make sure they had the best clothes on and comb their hair and all that kind of stuff. And they'd be prepared for this big interview that these rabbis would give these kids. And so they would look at these, these young boys, these young men, and they would, they would uh, kind of interview them and ask them questions. And if they rose to the top, but what happened was is the, these guys were like, I want that guy. No, I want that guy. No, I want him. You, you trade that guy for that guy? I don't, I don't know if that happened. But, you know, they, they would go through that, 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 uh, that experience, and they would choose these, these guys that were top-notch and say, hey, come and follow me. I mean, that was a big thing. And so these kids, they would go home and say, Mom, I'm going to follow this, this one rabbi. And they would get so excited. They would, they would uh, pack their clothes and their suitcase and give them food. And they would leave the house. And as they're leaving... The, the things that they would say as Jews, they would say, may the, the dust, um, let me say this, let me get this right. May you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. You're like, what does that mean? That's a pretty churchy kind of old, old way of saying things. What they're saying is, we hope that you would follow so close behind your rabbi that as he's walking from place to place, that the dust come, picking up from his sandals would cover you. That you'd be following so closely behind him. Now, there's a lot of things to think about, think about Jesus' disciples, because what were they doing? They were fishing, tax collectors doing stuff like that. You know what happened to them? They didn't make the cut. And those religious leaders literally patted them on the head and said, hey, here's what you do. Go home, start a family, learn a trade, and we'll pray that your kids are good enough to be um, a follower of a rabbi. And these guys were picked by Jesus. It's a whole other, whole other thing, but that's what it means to be a, a disciple, a, a follower. So the question for us is, are we really being disciples of Jesus? I got two quick things to kind of help, you, help us understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So number one is this, a true disciple of Jesus abides in the gospel. Abides in the gospel. We see that in this, this verse today, John 8, 31. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Abide, what in the world does that mean? Well, to abide means to live, to continue, or to remain. So to uh, abide in Christ means that you're going to live in Christ, you're going to continue in Christ, that you're going to remain in Christ. And some of us look at that and say, man, that is like top-level kind of Christianity right there. That's like the top rung of the Christian ladder is to really be abiding in Christ. Like it's something that you work up to. But the Bible says, no, that is, that's basic Christianity. That is simple Christianity is to abide in Christ, to continue to remain in Christ. I think of it like a, like a plant. So if you take a pot, you got a brand new um, little plant, and you put good soil in it, some fertilizer and mix it up, right? Like miracle Grow or whatever. And you, you put that in there. You give it some water and then you don't hide it in a closet. You put it out somewhere where it can get some sunlight. What's going to happen to it? It's going to grow, right? It's going to grow. Naturally, it's going to grow. When it's in that environment, when it's doing the things that it's created to do, it's going to grow. And that's what it means really to abide. That you're continuing, you're, you're having this experience with God, you're remaining in Him and you're, you're growing. And that growth that you have turns from just learning about God to actually doing what God has called you to do. And that's what it really means to abide in Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, and the second, it kind of starts in the second part of verse 5. John says this, one of Jesus' disciples, he says this, By this we may know that we are in him. 
Whoever says he abides in him ought to, what? Walk in the same way in which he walked. We need to be people who really and truly, if we're going to be a true disciple, to abide in Christ, abide in the gospel, the message that he proclaims. And number two is this. A true disciple of Jesus knows and is known. To get this, we've got to look at the rest of the story here in John chapter 8. So the very next verse, Jesus says this. If you abide in me, you're going to be my true disciple. And he says this. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's powerful too. Then you'll know the truth. So there, there's knowledge. We need to, if we're a true disciple, we're gonna, we're gonna know. We're gonna, we're gonna have this knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We're gonna have this knowledge and it's gonna set us free. And the question is, it's gonna set us free from what? What is it gonna set us free from? Okay, if you're ever in Sunday school and you don't know the answer, either say, Sin or Jesus, okay? And you're going to get it right most of the time, okay? So that's just a little trick, all right, inside baseball there. Okay, so, yeah, so the answer is sin. It's going to set us free from sin. But if you look at the context of what Jesus is talking about and who he's talking about, not only is he saying, I'm going to set you free from sin, but he says, I'm going to set you free from something else. Um, I don't have this up on the screen, but if you, if you look at the rest of that little, that chapter, John chapter 8, you read the kind of the rest of the story, and what happens is Jesus and the disciples, they begin to, to talk, or the, the, the followers, they begin to talk about things, and there were some followers, there were some people that weren't followers, and they begin to say, hey, that's great, Jesus, but, but we have our religion, and we have Abraham as our father. We got the Old Testament. We got these laws, and you know what? We follow those laws, and so that's great that you're saying all those things, but we don't need you. We got everything we need. We have this religion, and so this religion is going to set us free. And Jesus says, religion can't set you free. I set you free. Because not only do you have to know, but you have to be known. A couple, verses, a couple chapters later in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking to him, and he says in verse 27, My sheep listen to my voice. And get this, I know them. And they follow me. And, here, and then he says, here's what this looks like. When I know them and they follow me, here's what happens. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. We have to be people that not only know about God and know about what Jesus has done for us, we have to be known by him. Back in 1924, there was this... Uh, Incredible baseball series. It was the World Series. It was probably the greatest one that's probably ever been played. And it was between the New York Giants and the Washington Senators. And it was just an incredible, awesome, um, uh, back and forth kind of series. And they got to game seven. And it was at, at the Washington Senators at, at their home field. And so this is the finals. I mean, this is, this is the, the big time. And they're going, and they're battling back and forth, and it gets to the top of the ninth, and it is tied two to two. And New York Giants get up to bat and strike, strike out, strike out, strike out. One, two, three. And all of a sudden, the crowd, the home crowd kind of gets a little bit excited. They're like, oh, well, this is it. Bottom of the ninth, we're going to win it around here. So the first batter gets up to the plate, and he strikes out. Second batter gets up to the plate, and he grounds out. 
And the last batter gets up to the plate. And this, this guy's name was Leon Goose Goslin. They called him the Goose. I don't know why. Maybe, are, are geese fast? I don't know. Okay, so maybe he was fast. I don't know why he was called the Goose. But he gets up to the plate. Now, if you've ever played baseball or played baseball in the backyard, what do you do when you're pretending like you're playing? You get to the plate and you say, game seven of the World Series, right? Bottom of the ninth, two outs, full count, bases loaded, right? You guys say that, right? Now, now here, the bases were not loaded, but there were two outs, and Goose gets up to the plate, strike one looking. Come on, guys, you can't do that, right? Strike one looking, second swing strike, two strikes, ball one, ball two, it's two to two. Next pitch, and he just cranks one. And it's beautiful. I can imagine he probably did the bat flip, right? And he just started kind of trotting around the bases. And he's watching that ball go. And the ball goes all the way to the very, very, very tip of the, of the outfield fence. And it hits about six inches below going out for a home run to win the World Series. And it bounces down. He realizes, uh-oh. And so Goose starts goosing around the bases, right? He's, he's hitting it. And so he gets second base, and he's looking at um, his, his uh, third base coach. And his third base coach is telling him, you know, kind of slow up, slow up. You don't have to, to slide coming into, into third. And then the third base coach, coach sees out of the corner of his eye that the, the shortstop is not, like, hustling. He just kind of thinks it's going to be a triple. And so the third base coach says, this is it. We're going to win. And he begins to like, come on, you know, like, come on. And so Goose realizes that. So he hits third base, and he is trucking it. And that shortstop sees it, throws it towards home plate. And Goose slides in, dust flying everywhere. And he slides in right before the tag. And the place goes crazy. And the, the, the catcher gets up, and he kind of does like what everybody does. They throw that normal, like, throw it to all the bases or whatever, you know, just like what they, what they always do after a play. And the umpire is standing there looking around. And the dust begins to settle. And everybody kind of hushes down. He looks around and goes, you're out! And the place goes crazy, like riots, okay? So we've seen riots this last year. It was, it was, it was crazy. Pandemonium happened. So all of the umpires, they got together and tried to figure out what was going on. And then they got on a, a microphone, okay? Back then, maybe they, back then in 1924, they had a, maybe a, just a, a megaphone. He gets on the megaphone and says, ladies and gentlemen, the runner is out because he forgot to touch first base. How tragic is that he forgot to touch first base and I wonder if in our lives there are people in this room or people watching online who would say you know what I've I've lived my life as a Christian I know what it means to be a Christian that that I have I'm a I'm a Sunday school leader right I've been baptized when I was little and I've been living the Christian life and I even serve I'm doing all those things and you're heading towards home, the end of your life, and, you, and I wonder if, if you realize that maybe, possibly, you, you miss first base. We can't even talk about what it means to be a disciple until we realize that we all have to, if we want to truly be disciples, we have to hit first base the right way. You see, first base is salvation. I think there's some of this in this room, I believe, I've been praying about it all week, I believe there's some people in this room who would say, 
You know what, Clayton? I don't know that I know. I'm not sure. I've been a member of this church for a long time. I consider myself a Christian. I consider myself a follower. But you know what? There's never been a real, a real time in my life that, that I have repented of my sin and turned from my ways and followed Christ and, and accepted that gift of salvation. You know what? If I'm going into home, into my days, I want to know that I know. I don't want to miss it. And how tragic would it be if you played this game and you made it all the way to home, the crowd is cheering for you, and they say you're out because you missed first base. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you have to be known by me as well. You can't just know it here. You know, you can't just even know it here. You got to be known by him. I think we need, we need to just pause for a moment and, and sit in that. There might be some people here in this room that, that, that God is convicting you right now. And you say, you know what, I, I think I know. I'm not really sure. I've been doing this Christian life for a long time. And I rounded second base. And I've, I've got, I got that baptism thing done. And, I, you know, I got the church membership thing done. And I'm on, I've rounded third. I, I serve. I, I do all the things that a Christian is supposed to do. Just like these, these people, these Jews were saying. They were saying, Jesus, we don't need you because we got our religion. we got our way of doing things. And Jesus said, no, it's not about that. It is about a relationship. If we really want to be disciples for Christ, called his, following after him, we have to touch first base first. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. And for all of us in this room, I think this is a good, good thing that we need to ask ourselves this week. As we continue this, this series on what is a disciple, is to ask, am I a true disciple of Jesus or have I lost my way? Maybe you really aren't saved. Maybe you are and you just haven't been living like you, haven't been doing the things, you haven't been abide, abiding in Christ like he has called us to. It's time to get right with Jesus because I believe God is doing something incredible in the life of this church. And I believe he has something special in store for you. We gotta make that commitment together. Would you stand with me? Here's the deal. We don't do this a whole lot, but uh, I'm going to have a, one of our staff members down here. we got staff over here in the connection room. I'll be down here in the front in just a second after our prayer. We're going to sing a song. Man, if God's calling you, say, you know what? I don't know if I've touched ba- first base. I've missed first base. And I want to go back and make sure that I get right with God. We want to help you and walk you through what it looks like to give your life to Christ. Don't live your life wondering. Make that commitment right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who died on the cross to save us from our sins. And God, it's so easy and so tempting for us to just to live our lives as religious people, trying to do religious things as if that is going to save us. But your word is really clear that religion does not save, Jesus saves. So I pray if there's anyone in this room who's been doing the religious thing for a long time, yeah, they realize, they know. They're to be honest with you. They know they've missed first base. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just wreck their gut right now. I pray that you would uh, convict them of their sin. And God, I pray that you would call them to come forward. They give your life, their life to, to Christ right now. 
Oh God, what a, what a glorious day that will be. So we pray that for those in this room who need to do that. When we finish praying, God, I pray that they, they would move forward as we're singing. They go back to the connection room. They want it to be private. And they, they would do business with you today. And Lord, for the rest of us, God, convict us. Are we really a disciple of Jesus? What does that mean? Are we just doing religion? Are we being the church or we're just doing church? Change us, God. Because we don't want to waste our lives. We don't want to waste our time. We want to be used by you. So move right now, God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.